Does anyone ever come to know Jesus through apologetics? Yes, they do. Today on Christ Culture and Coffee, I want to share some stories with you about how using apologetics with Muslims actually works. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Your hosts for this podcast are Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Robbie is pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church, as well as professor of apologetics, worldview, and ethics at Mission Bible Institute. He is a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, as well as a graduate of the Master's in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University. Tyler is currently earning his undergraduate degree in theology at Grand Canyon University and currently serves as an apologetics intern at Desert Springs Community Church. Hello, welcome to Christ Culture and Coffee. Robbie Lashua here. I'm excited to talk about Rwanda today, to talk about Islam today, and about how you can share your faith with your Muslim friends and neighbors. And um, these these arguments are actually powerful, and they actually are helpful, and people come to know Jesus uh, through them. Uh, I did want to uh, mention Tyler is not here today. He is uh, flying around the world, basically. If you'd be praying for him, uh, he is over in Europe right now uh, with our church, and he's doing some uh, uh, missionary uh, trip planning. He's over there looking at different sites with our missions pastor, and uh, they're checking out where we can lead missions next year for short-term missionary trips with adults here through our church. So um, if you'd be praying for uh, Tyler and Jamie as they're flying around Europe, uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, and many of you, I guess, don't know, uh, I, I know many of you were praying for me while I was on a mission trip to Rwanda a couple weeks ago. But, um, you know, as we uh, record podcasts ahead so we can make sure, you know, every Thursday night they're coming out, um, uh, I don't know if many of you knew that I was gone. It may seem that, you know, oh, man, they're just coming out with podcasts all the time. Uh, And we were, but I haven't recorded a podcast in uh, like a month, it feels like. (laughs) We got all of those done a long time ago uh, before the trip and everything. So it's nice to be back in the saddle here uh, recording for you. Um, I did want to share with you. Uh, a coffee tip, basically, and uh, it's very simple. It's it's my own tip, and it's it's this: if you can get your hand on coffee from Rwanda, do it. I uh, have been blown away at how good the coffee in Rwanda was. Um, I went over there a few weeks ago. My friend Chad, he has been a missionary in Rwanda for about nine years, and he's been uh, trying to get me to come over there to help him with some pastor's training for a long time. And uh, he's brought back Rwandan coffee for me before. It's always delicious, but I think... I think I'm ruined now with how good it is. Uh, Being over there, getting it so fresh, I brought back a whole bunch of it with me. Uh, My wife and I have stockpiled it basically at our house, and I I find myself not being able to really drink other coffee right now. And it sounds horrendous to me, but I've become this snob where I only want the Rwandan coffee. It is that good. I'm, I'm saying no to Starbucks. I'm saying no to other coffee shops around right now because I am just addicted to this Rwandan coffee. Uh, in the show notes, I'm going to put a link to uh, Rwandan Trading Company. 
Um, and that's where uh, I got the coffee from the the grower from from the the coffee plantation up there. They roast it there. Uh, we went straight to the source, and that's where uh, the coffee I have is from. But uh, hopefully, through that, you can buy some and try it out. It is amazing. Uh, but uh, a warning: it may ruin you from wanting to drink other coffee that isn't as good. So that's the coffee tip for today. Get a hold of Rwandan coffee and enjoy it because it is delicious. Um, what I want to do today is is kind of give you a recap of my trip. I know a lot of you were praying, and uh, I'd like to tell you what God did while I was over there. So um, on uh, February 9th, my friend uh, Kyle and I, Kyle's a pastor at Mission Church here in the Goodyear area, we flew out to Rwanda, and uh, what we were doing was going out there to train pastors in theology, in apologetics, in doctrinal issues, um, in Bible study methods, all this kind of stuff. Now, these pastors are in a two-year program where they have um, uh, trainers from, from America come out four or five times a year. And what we did is we went out there and we had six days of intense training with these guys. We, we taught for about seven hours each of the six days. And uh, we had an interpreter because in the village we were in, um, not everyone knew English. And so they translated into the, the Rwandan language. And um, it was just an amazing time of seeing... Uh, a beautiful country, meeting really extraordinary people, and especially those who are serving in the ministry over there. Uh, I, I want to share with you a little bit about Rwanda that just blew me away, and I had no idea about this. Um, so uh, obviously, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the genocide that occurred there back in 1994. Uh, April 1994, this horrific genocide happened uh, over three months where <clears throat> where uh, Thousands and thousands, I think almost a million uh, uh, Rwandans were killed uh, in this genocide because of this racial tension. Um, and and since then, it's been about 25 years, almost 25 years this April, um, they have come so far in recovering from that devastating event. Um, a, a couple of things that just were amazing to me about Rwanda. Number one, uh, at least 80 and and. and more, most likely over 80% of the people in Rwanda are Christians. Did you catch that? 80% or more are Christians. They would say they believe in Jesus. They would say that they're following after Jesus. Uh, everybody that I talked with in the city who spoke English, uh, I'd ask them, what church do you go to? Uh, we were bartering with, with guys, you know, buying, buying souvenirs and stuff. Um, and bartering on the price and haggling and stuff. It was really fun. Uh, but then I could just ask him, what church do you go to? And everyone's like, oh, I go to this Episcopalian church. Oh, I go to this Anglican church. Oh, I go to this Baptist church. And everybody there cared about the Lord. It was refreshing. It was it was weird, to be honest, with how many people cared. On Sunday, we were driving around, and a lot of people there don't have cars because gas is so expensive. Um, but they uh, the the streets were lined with people walking to church. I mean, everywhere, people in suits, in dresses, you know, with their Bibles in hand, walking to church, because that is who Rwandans are. It is a Christian nation. Uh, they have been evangelized. Uh, it is amazing. Uh, but we were there to help disciple them, because that isn't something that they have. Uh, they, they love Jesus, and they're, they're eager to know about Jesus, but they don't have a lot of uh, intense training. A lot of their pastors, um, they were even telling us, a lot 
lot of them haven't read the whole Bible. A lot of them uh, don't have a whole Bible. Uh, and so we went out there to do some training with them to help them uh, steward their churches well, to help them disciple their people well. And it was an amazing time. So uh, a couple of things I want to share with you uh, about the trips, a couple of really neat encounters that we had. One of them uh, was on our way to Rwanda, actually. Um, we, we flew from Phoenix to London to Istanbul to Kigali. And uh, while we were in Istanbul on our layover, uh, we were looking to get on the Wi-Fi so we could text our families and everything. And uh, this really nice guy who was sitting next to us in this cafe, he said, hey, if you go order something, uh, they'll give you the, the Wi-Fi password. So I went up, I got a couple waters, they gave me the password, and uh, we were good to go. But I came back to our seat, and Kyle was still talking with this guy. And uh, we had probably about an hour and a half conversation with him. Uh, his name was Sam. He was from Iraq. Uh, he uh, was Muslim. Uh, but he'd been working in Wisconsin, in the Milwaukee area, for a while uh, to, to better himself, to make money, uh, to, to help his family. And so he had a work visa, and he was in Milwaukee, and he was a teacher. Um, he said he had his doctorate from, from a, a school in Iraq, but that America didn't recognize it. And so he was having to work kind of uh, on, on um, a lesser job than he could get in Iraq. But he was teaching, he was helping with community stuff, and... Um, he said uh, a lot of good things about America. He liked a lot of it. Um, but then we were talking about Islam, right? The, 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 the conversation turned towards Islam because Istanbul, I don't know if you know, uh, I, as I was flying in there, I was just seeing mosque after mosque after mosque everywhere. I mean, it was amazing how many mosques there were in Istanbul. And many of you know that it used to be Constantinople, uh, but the Muslims came in and they, they took it over by force uh, from, from Christian rule. And they changed the name of it to Istanbul. Uh, there's actually a beautiful, beautiful church uh, in Istanbul called the Hagia Sophia. Um, and they have turned that into a mosque now. Um, but there was a huge Christian uh, presence, uh, huge Christian influence in Constantinople for, for many, many centuries. <clears throat> so we're sitting in this place that used to be Christian that's now occupied by, by Islam. And I'm talking to a guy from Iraq who's Muslim. And uh, he started to say a few interesting things, very cordial, very kind. And he said, you know, uh, when I'm in Wisconsin, I've been telling a lot of people uh, how uh, Christianity and Islam is the same. It's just Allah wrote, you know, the Law of Moses. Allah wrote the Injil, which are the Gospels, and Allah wrote the Quran. And the Quran's just the further, you know, it's the most revealed truth from God. And I said, oh, that's interesting. <clears throat> and so the, I, I, I couldn't resist, you know, and I'm, I'm going to Rwanda to teach on apologetics. And one of the things I was going to teach about was Islam because there are Muslims in Rwanda. And so uh, it was on my mind, and I, I asked our friend Sam, I said, oh, so it's, this, it's the same thing. And he said, yeah, Christianity and Islam is the same thing. And then I said, so you believe that Jesus is God's son? I knew this would get a reaction from him um, because um, Muslims believe that to attribute anything to Allah is the worst sin you can commit. You're not supposed to say God has a son. You're not supposed to attribute anything to him. It's the worst sin you could commit. And so I asked him this knowing he would disagree. But I said, oh, so you must believe Jesus is God's son. And he said, no, no, of course not. I don't believe that. That's, that's, that's horrible. I said, yeah, that's the biggest sin, right, that you can commit in Islam, right? And he said, yes. And I said, so Christianity and Islam can't be the same thing because 
you don't believe Jesus is God's sons, but the Angels, the Gospels, teach that Jesus is God's son. And his rebuttal was, the Gospels don't teach that Jesus is God's son. There's, they don't say that anywhere. <laughs> and I thought, oh man, you must have never read it, right? I didn't say that. But I said, well, can I show you where it does say that? And he said, yeah, it doesn't say that. You, there, there's no verse. You can't show me. And I said, yes, I can. And I took out my phone and I just opened it up to John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, God's son. And I said, Sam, look at this. What, what does that say? And he looked at it. And these are the words that came out of his mouth. I have never seen this before. I've never seen this before. I didn't know this. And I said, listen, you need to read the Gospels because Jesus is called God's son all over the place. And so Islam and Christianity can't be the same thing because the, the, the Angels, the Gospels, say that Jesus is God's son. Um, and that's kind of where our conversation ended. We needed to get to our, our plane flight. But the next step that I wanted to get into was, was asking him, so did um, God change his mind? Did Allah change his word? Because the Quran says that he can't change his word, right? Is he not powerful enough to preserve his word? Did somebody corrupt the Gospels and add all these sons of God stuff, but Allah is not powerful enough to keep it straight? So what, what's the problem here? Uh, and the only conclusion you can come to with that is that um, Jesus uh, and, and what, the, what the Gospels say, it, it doesn't jive with with Islam. And so either one or the other is true, but they can't be the same thing. They can't be the same thing. But this is a tactic that a lot of Muslims will use. They'll say, no, the the law of Moses is good and the Injil is good, um, but the Quran is, is the ultimate. And the reason the other ones are bad is because they've been corrupted. A lot of times that's what they'll say. They've been corrupted. And so um, I have a tactic prepared to share with you that is about um, how to show them from the Quran that the, the Gospels and the, the Law of Moses cannot be corrupted. But before we get into that, I want to share with you a really encouraging story from what happened in Rwanda. So we get to Rwanda and we're teaching these pastors um, theology, apologetics, all this. And for the first three days, uh, we taught on Monday, or sorry, we taught on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And um, I really hit heavy on uh, apologetics to Muslims. This tactic that I'm going to share with you uh, is one of the things that I taught to our Rwandan pastor friends. And um, we taught Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we took the weekend off so that all the pastors we were training, there's about 30, so that they could they could go back to the churches and preach, right? Some of them didn't live close. And so they went back to the churches. Um, we went and hung out with Chad in the capital city, and then we came back down to the southwestern part of the country where we were staying. And uh, on Monday, when we started training again, I asked them, okay, so how was church on Sunday? Did you implement any of the things that we've been teaching you? And one of the guys stood up, and uh, he said in, in, in Kenya, Rwanda, in his own language, uh, these words. He said, um, the stuff that you taught us about Islam was very helpful to me. Um, I'm staying for this pastor's training with a family of, of close family friends because I don't live close to where we're having the training. And this, this group of my friends, uh, this family that I'm staying with, they're all Muslims. So after you taught us the Muslim apologetics, I went back to where I was staying. I shared it with them. 
And now they all believe in the truth. Now they all believe in Christianity. And he sits down. And I was like, wait, what wait, what happened? He said it so fast, and it was translated, and that's what occurred. He used this method to share with the people he was staying with, and they all saw the problem with Islam, abandoned it, and became believers. Amazing. Amazing. I was so excited. Like, that alone was worth the trip over there. That alone, to, to see immediate impact like that occur, it was so exciting to me, uh, so encouraging to me, and I was so thankful that God did that. I'm excited to see, you know, all of the other pastors and what they do with what we taught them. Um, But it just reminded me that apologetics works. Apologetics is important. We're supposed to go out and we're supposed to have a defense and we're supposed to help people see truth. And the battle is for the mind. And so many people believe in lies. Sincerely, they believe in lies, but they're just being led astray. They're being led by the evil one, and we need to go speak truth in love, having good relationships with people, and showing them who Jesus is. So I was so encouraged that this pastor uh, shared with his friends, took the initiative, wasn't afraid, and he talked about truth with them. Now, the, the method that I shared with them is what I want to what I want to talk about for the majority of our time here. And so this is a really great method that will help you with any objections that Muslims have to Christianity, all right? Um, I, I get this method uh, from Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 when he was talking with the Pharisees um, and, and the Sadducees. You remember the Sadducees came to him and they had this question about marriage and it was just trying to trick Jesus and show him that um, afterlife is, is fallacious. And one of the things that Jesus did, which I think is really important for us, is he only used scripture that the Sadducees believed was valid. Uh, Sadducees didn't believe in any books of the Bible except for the books of Moses, except for the first five books of, uh, of the Bible. So Jesus, when he was refuting their argument, he quotes Exodus, which is uh, an authority that they respect. And I think that this is a great principle for us to apply is, can, can we do some study? Can we take some time? And can we use other people's authority to show them what's real? And I think you can, because if if there's falsehood out there, if there are lies like in the Quran or in the Book of Mormon or whatever, um, lies can't be kept straight. Lies are easy to spot. Lies are easy to uncover. Contradictions are easy to see. Truth uh, stands firm. Lies are easy to point out. So I think if we take some time to study our opponent's authority, their scriptures, we can use their scriptures to show them why what they believe is wrong. And that's exactly what you can do with Islam. What I want to share with you is how we can show our Muslim friends and family that Islam is wrong by using the Quran, just by using what the Quran says. If I take the Quran seriously, if I really believe what it says, then I can't believe what it says. And I'm going to explain that to you now. So, This is what you want to ask. Number one, what does the Quran say about the Bible? What does the Quran say about the Bible? And I'm going to read to you Surah 3, uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Um, And this is what it says. He has sent down upon you, O Muhammad, the book in truth, confirming what was before it. And he revealed the Torah and the gospel before as guidance for the people. 
and he revealed the Quran. Indeed, those who disbelieve in the verses of Allah will have a severe punishment, and Allah is exalted in might, the owner of retribution. This passage says that the Torah and the Gospels were given by Allah. So, so Muslims believe that, that their God, that Allah is the inspirer of the Gospels and the Torah, all right? So that's what we want to see. That's why they'll never say that the Gospels is horrendous. That's why my friend Sam was saying that, <clears throat> that the Quran is just the further fulfillment. It's the most, most revealed revelation of God. But the Gospels are good and the Torah is good. So they believe that Allah inspired the Gospels and the Torah. But the Quran also talks about the preservation and the authority of the Gospels and the Torah being preserved by Allah. All right? So I want to read another uh, uh, verse from the Quran. It's Surah chapter 7, verse 157. <clears throat> and it says, Those who follow the messenger, the unlettered prophet, whom they find written in what they have of the Torah and the gospel, who enjoins upon them what is right and forbids them what is wrong and makes lawful for them the good things and prohibits for them the evil and relieves them of their burden and the shackles which were upon them. So they who have believed in him, honored him, supported him, and followed the light which was sent down with him. It is those who will be successful. Now, did you catch that? This verse is saying that those who follow the Torah and the gospel will be successful. This verse is stating that the gospel and the Torah, at the time this was written, are good sources. That's important for us. When Muhammad penned Surah 7, chapter 7 of the Quran, he said that the Torah and the gospels are good to follow for the people it's been revealed to, which would be Christians and Jews, and that if they follow what God gave them, they would be successful. Now, some Muslims like to say, well, listen, of course that's true, but the Gospels and the Torah have been corrupted, and they don't say what they used to originally say. Therefore, um, you can't trust them anymore. But this is a huge problem for the Muslims. Um, on our way over to Rwanda, my friend Kyle and I, we stopped in London for a couple of days. <clears throat> and one of the places we went to was the British Museum and the British Library. The British Museum was awesome. So many stories, and I'm sure in future podcasts we'll talk about that. But we went to the British Library. And the reason we went there is because I knew that they owned Codex Sinaiticus. What is Codex Sinaiticus, you may be asking? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Codex Sinaiticus is an almost entire Greek New Testament that is from the 300s. It's from the 4th century AD. Um, it is beautiful. It's a, a Codex is a, it's a book, you know, it's a book form like we would have. And it's almost the complete... New Testament in Greek. It's one of the greatest preserved manuscripts of the New Testament Greek that we have. <clears throat> um, so I've studied it for a long time, talked about it in school for a long time because we compare stuff with it. And guess what? What Codex Sinaiticus says is basically the same thing that our New Testament says today. Actually, it's it's one of the sources we use to understand the Greek and, and get the Greek text for translating Bibles today. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> when did Muhammad write the Quran? He wrote it 
in the 7th century AD, early part of the 7th century, early part of the 600s AD, I saw with my own eyes Codex Sinaiticus, which predates Muhammad by about 300 years. Guess what? The New Testament hasn't been corrupted since the time of Muhammad because we have manuscripts 300 years before Muhammad. We know what they say, and they say exactly what the New Testament has always said and what it says today. No corruption is even possible. This is not an argument that the Muslim can make because we know what it said at the time Muhammad wrote this because we have manuscripts from that time and manuscripts predating it, and we can compare them with what we have today, and it has not been corrupted. So, <clears throat> what else can we help uh, our, our Muslim friends to see from the Quran? Well, there's a few things. Um, let's pretend. Now, now this is really important. The, the New Testament manuscripts have not been corrupted, okay? They haven't. But let's just pretend for sake of argument that they were. Can we show that the Quran claims that they can't be corrupted? Yes, we can. Let me read to you Surah 6, verse 115 says, and the word of your Lord has been fulfilled in truth and in justice. None can alter his words, and he is the hearing and the knowing. Again, I want to quote for you another verse. It's Surah 1827 from the Quran. It says, and recite, O Muhammad, what has been revealed to you of the book of your Lord. There is no changer of his words, and never will you find in other than him a refuge. Wait a second. These verses say that none can alter Allah's words, that there is no changer of his words, and yet Muslims are claiming that somebody changed his words of the gospel. Am I to believe what the Quran says or not? If I believe these verses, then I have to believe that the gospels and the Torah were never changed because no one can alter Allah's words. So I think those verses help out again. Those are uh, Surah 6.115 and Surah 18.27. I would encourage you, don't just take my word for this, but go, go through the podcast and write down all these references and keep a little bookmark or a little piece of paper in your Bible so when you encounter a, a, a Muslim, you can talk to them intelligently about what their sources say and reason with them and help them to see who Jesus is. Another interesting point that we find in the Quran is that it actually tells Christians and Jews to go to the Torah and to the Gospels for instruction. In Surah 5, verse 43, it says, But how is it that they come to you for judgment while they have the Torah, in which is the judgment of Allah? Jews were coming to Muhammad, and they were asking him to help judge, and and he gets revelation from God saying, why are they coming to you for judgment when I've already given them their scripture? (laughs) They're supposed to go to their scripture to see what I think, not to you. Is that interesting? In Surah 5, verse 47, a couple of verses later, it says, and let the people of the gospel judge by what Allah has revealed therein. And whoever does not judge by what Allah has revealed, then it is those who are defiantly disobedient. Did you catch that? People of the Gospels, that's Christians, we're supposed to judge by what the Gospels say. We're supposed to judge by what Allah has said in the Gospels. And if we don't do it, we are defiantly 
disobedient. <clears throat> now, this is interesting to me because if I want to believe what the Quran says here, I need to go to the Gospels and judge based on what they say. I think this helps us a lot when we're talking with Muslims to say, I'm, good, I'm only doing what the Quran tells me to do. And when I do it, it tells me the Quran is false. So if I want to believe in it and do what it says, it's proven false because of what the Gospels say and how I'm to judge according to the Gospels. <clears throat> Another passage, Surah 5, verse 68, says this. Say, O people of the Scripture, you are standing on nothing until you uphold the law of the Torah, the Gospel, and what has been revealed to you from your Lord. You see? It's clear that we're supposed to judge according to the Gospels and the Torah, and the Gospels and the Torah haven't been corrupted because we have manuscripts that predate the time Muhammad wrote all of this. So we're assuming at the time he wrote this, he was okay with what they said, <clears throat> and we can prove what they said at the time and before. So what happens to Islam when we judge by what is given to us in the Gospels? If that's what Allah is commanding me to do, what happens to Islam when I do that? Well, if we're to judge by the Gospels, then two scriptures become very important for us. The first one is Matthew 11.27. So now I'm going to the Gospels because I'm trusting what the Quran tells me to do. Okay, that's the move we're making here. And in Matthew 11.27, it says this, <clears throat> All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Okay, so Jesus says that all things have been handed over to him by the Father. That's what the Gospels say. I'm supposed to judge by the Gospels, by what Allah revealed to me as a Christian in the Gospels. If I don't, I'm defiantly disobedient. And I read this verse that says Jesus has been given all things by the Father. All things would include Muhammad, wouldn't it? All things would include Muhammad. John 16.15 says, All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. If we're commanded to judge based on what has been given us in the Gospels, then all things that belong to the Father also belong to Jesus. And if Muhammad belongs to God and everything God owns belongs to Jesus, then Muhammad belongs to Jesus. Why would we need to accept Muhammad if we already worship the one who owns Muhammad? It makes no sense. Why? Jesus owns Muhammad. I'm going to worship the greater, not the lesser. Why do I need to turn to, to a lesser person who's owned by my Lord? Um, see, and, and this is this is the problem. Now, what's the Muslims' move here? Well, they would say, well, the Bible's been corrupted. Jesus never said those words. However, we, we've already proven our point with that. No, can't be corrupted because we have manuscripts that predate it. Uh, and even if you're claiming it was corrupted, you're going against what the Quran says because the Quran says no one can change God's words. No one can corrupt what Allah says. So do you believe that Allah is lying or do you believe he misspoke? You see the problem here. You see this dilemma, this conundrum for the Muslim. It's a big deal. <clears throat> the Torah and the Gospels <clears throat> are also said to be authoritative over Muhammad's revelation. And this, when I learned about it, was shocking to me. You're going to love this. Listen to what Surah 10 verse 94 says. 
So if you are in doubt, O Muhammad, about that which we have revealed to you, then ask those who have been reading the scripture before you. The truth has certainly come to you from your Lord, so never be among the doubters. Do you see that? Allah told Muhammad the way to test the revelation he's been given is to see if it matches with the scripture that was given before, which is the Gospels and the Torah. So this is the thing. If I believe this, if I believe Surah 1094, and I'll say, okay, I'll test what, what Muhammad was given to see if it matches with the Gospels and the Torah. Uh, guess what? It doesn't. It completely contradicts the Gospels and the Torah because it teaches a works-based, right? It teaches things that are completely contrary to the Gospels. And so if I believe the Quran, especially this verse, and I do what it says, then I know that Muhammad was false. Because he fails the test. He fails the test to see if what he was given matches up with what was given before. Why would Muhammad be told by Allah to go to corrupt books in order to test his revelation? He never would. That makes no sense. So at the time this was written, Muhammad is assuming the Gospels and the Torah are correct. And we actually know what they say because we have manuscripts that predate all of this. So if the Quran is true and I trust what it says, it says of itself that it's false. Because if I go to other, uh, the other scriptures before it, <clears throat> they contradict what it says. And if that's the test for authenticity, the Quran fails the test within itself. You see, this is a beautiful way to show your friends that, that Islam it can't be true. And you're using their sources. We're doing a little study. We're taking a little time to see where they're coming from in order to help them see the, the, the fallacies that are just prevalent in Islam and in the Quran. Now, <clears throat> this is the best argument to use with Muslim because all of their objections to Christianity can be cleared up with this argument. If I, as a Christian, am supposed to judge by the Gospels, and if Muhammad himself was supposed to make sure his revelation was true by comparing it with what the Gospels say, and if God's words can't change, then when I go to the Bible, everything that Christianity teaches must be true, right? It must be true according to what the Quran is saying. So I Often, um, Muslims will object to Christianity uh, based on the Trinity, right? They'll say, no, there is no Trinity. That's a horrible thing to say. You can't attribute anything with God. To say he has a son is the worst sin ever, right? But if I'm supposed to judge the Quran and the teachings of Muhammad based on the Gospels, well, the Gospels show that there's one God, that there's three divine persons who are called God, and that they're co-equal and co-eternal. So the Quran, if I believe it, tells me that it's false. What about Jesus not really being crucified? Because Muslims don't believe Jesus was really crucified. Well, all of the Gospels record that, unanimously record that he was crucified and that he rose from the dead. If I'm supposed to judge the Quran based on the Gospels, if I'm supposed to go to what Allah has given to me as a Christian, which is the Gospels, and if Muhammad was supposed to judge what he wrote based on what was given before, then the Quran is false. And that belief that Jesus wasn't crucified is completely 
false. The Bible being altered or corrupted. Again, we've talked about that already. Nope, not true. This tactic helps you with every objection the Muslim has to Christianity because it says that the Bible, that the Gospels and the Torah trump the Quran. And we just need to take the time to show our friends this this, uh, method. Take the time to show them in their own text what it says. And if we apply what it says, then it proves itself to be false, right? There is not a works-based salvation. Uh, It's fascinating to me that that Paul says in Galatians 1, 8 through 9, that even if an angel from heaven came with another gospel, don't believe it. And that's exactly what Muhammad claimed, that an angel came to him in in the cave, right? And he gave him this revelation from God. The Bible already tells us not to believe it. The Bible already tells us that that's false. And if I'm supposed to judge based on what I've been given in the Gospels, then Islam is completely false. And it must have not been from God. It must have been from some other spiritual entity, something evil, something sinister. Now, this uh, this is a powerful argument. <clears throat> but again, I want to remind you, it's not to be used to beat up your Muslim friends and family. It's to love them and to show them truth. And a lot of times I, I think it's, it's a danger because with apologetics and with arguments, we can get so heated and we can get so uh, emotional about things. And we need to remember that it's not just our arguments that, that need to be good. It's also our character that needs to be good. You can share truth with people, and if you're a jerk about it, they're not going to care. They're not going to listen. They're going to become defensive. They're going to write you off. And to be honest, that isn't how Jesus lived his life. Jesus was an attractive person. Jesus' personality, Jesus' love exuded from him. It was magnetic. People wanted to be around this guy. And we need to spend time knowing apologetics arguments for sure. But we also got to spend time getting close to Jesus. He needs to rub off on us. We need to abide in him, like John 15 says, because that is how we will show good character to the world. Truth and grace, truth and grace, right? Jesus was full of both, and and I am not full of either. But I want to be more balanced, and I want to look more like him to the world. And so as you're sharing, keep that in mind. We're supposed to love our Muslim neighbors and friends. Our Lord literally tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Well, he follows it up in Matthew uh, 5, verses 44 and 45, and he says, so that you can be sons of your Father who's in heaven. Because your Father who's in heaven, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God loves all people, even the unrighteous. God loves everyone, and that's what he calls us to do as well. Even your enemies, not just your friends, even love your enemies. And loving your Muslim friends will go a long way. Showing them that you're committed to them, that you care about them, goes a long way. And people don't typically change their minds overnight. People don't typically completely abandon their previous worldview with one conversation. But it's, it's, it's many conversations. It's evidence like we talked about, showing them what the Quran says, letting them chew on it, letting them think about it, and maintaining a relationship with them to see their beliefs change. We can't change anybody's beliefs directly, but people can change their beliefs indirectly as they hear truth and they weigh evidence and they think about things. And that's what we need to do. We need to go out into this world and we need to help with the battle for the mind.
take the truth, the power of the gospel, the truth of Christianity into dark places and love people enough to share with them. And that's why I'm so proud of that pastor in Rwanda. He did a phenomenal job of doing that, and he saw fruit. But it's also because he was friends with these people. It's also because they knew he cared about them. But then with this argument, he could go in and he could show them how fallacious, how silly the Islamic worldview is, the beliefs of Islam are. And so that's what I encourage you to do. Use this to reach the world. That is our hope here at Christ Culture and Coffee. We don't want this just to be about um, uh, Christian intellect and feeling good about what you believe. We want, we want that. We want your faith to be deepened through this, but we also want you to go out and reach other people. We want to give you good reasons to know that you have a reasonable faith, that you can be confident in your faith, but also so that you can be prepared to go out and share it with other people. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, thanks so much again for praying for my trip to Rwanda. It was amazing. If you could remember to keep praying for Tyler as he's over in Europe setting up these mission trips, I would really appreciate that. And again, we're just so grateful for you listening. Uh, every week, we're g- gaining more and more and more listeners. So I know that you're sharing this. I know that you're telling your friends about it. Uh, and if you would continue to do that, we would we would really appreciate it because we want to reach as many people as we can with truth. That That's our goal here is I want this to be a method in which God's kingdom is further. And so thank you so much for partnering with us in that. Thanks so much for listening. And um, we really enjoy being able to put these together for you. I'm hoping they're beneficial. I'm hoping that you're growing and that the Lord's using you where you're at because you have friends and you have family that no one else can reach. And God's placed you in their lives so that you can reach them with truth. Thanks again for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. We will catch you guys next week. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.